Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the words that the Apostle Paul used in many of his epistles as he began to write those letters to the churches that he was overseeing. Why did he write those words? I think he wrote those words because he wants us to understand that grace, mercy, and peace come from our God only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Such an amazing thing. I must tell you this morning as I stand here on this platform, a flood of memories come back to me. Weddings, as Tom mentioned, funerals, worship services, special speakers. I can remember years and years and years ago when we had to take all the pews out because we had this whole cadre of high up speakers coming. So we took the pews out so they could make room for whatever they needed. Then we had to put them all back in. And eventually we wound up going to chairs. Uh, but this place carries a very, very special place in my heart. It was my training ground, if you will. It was the place where God worked in my heart, in my life, to change me. I like to think that he has made me more like him. But there are some days I feel like I'm going backwards. Maybe not so much in these years that I'm in now, but a few years back. But God has been so good. And I appreciate the theme from the worship team this morning and what has been developed here. And we see the greatness of our God. Amen. We see the great love that he has toward us. And the text that I want to share with you this morning is found in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And it's... it's story of the prodigal son. In this text, of course, we see that God found us when we were far away from him. We are in no position to begrudge his grace similarly given to others, are we? No matter, no matter how unworthy they may appear to us. And I think that's a lesson we all must learn. God calls us to a joyful celebration, not only for our own salvation, but for the salvation of our brothers and sisters. I so appreciate the prayer time this morning, praying for those in your community, praying for your missionaries, praying for all of those, our leadership in our country, because they all need God's grace this morning. And every day. So if you're able, would you please rise again in honor of the reading of God's holy word found in Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. We're going to read in Jesus' name. Jesus is speaking these words. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. 
So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me to know one of your hired, make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his younger son, or his older son rather, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him, but he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you, never, you have never given me a young goat, so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. That ends the reading of the scriptures. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, today we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth. Father, I pray that today you would sanctify us in this truth. Lord, I pray that this morning you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and hearts that would be open to all that you have. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Dear friends in Christ Jesus our Lord, and I say that and fully mean it, dear friends, this 15th chapter of Luke that we're looking at is known as the great lost and found chapter. In this chapter, Jesus tells a parable of a sheep that was lost and found, of a coin that was lost and found, and finally, the son that was lost and found. In each of these stories, the lost, item, the sheep, the coin, or the person, here represents what? It represents us as sinners, doesn't it? Those who are lost in sin without God. In each of these stories, of course, there is a hero, one who searches in humility for the coin or the sheep or the person who was lost. In each of these stories, of course, there is a celebration that the lost has been found. The 15th chapter of Luke teaches us that God is in the business. Hear this. God is in the business of finding the lost and returning them to their rightful places. And that there is great rejoicing in heaven whenever God rescues one who is lost. Can you picture that in your minds this morning? The rejoicing that must go on in heaven when a lost sinner comes home. Nothing brings more joy to God our Heavenly Father than just that. In this lost and found chapter, Jesus tells these three stories to a mixed crowd. First of all, there were tax collectors and sinners that were gathered together there. And of course, these tax collectors and sinners hung on every word that Jesus spoke. Then, of course, there were the Pharisees and the scribes. Those were the ones who criticized Jesus. They criticized him for hanging out with these bad people. They criticized him for doing things that he shouldn't have been doing on the Sabbath. They just were critical people. All three of these lost and found parables, I think, provides great comfort for those tax collectors and sinners like us. Those of us who understand that we are lost and in need of God's grace and mercy. And it's not really until the last parable here in the chapter that Jesus adds a third major character to it. And he does this as a warning to the Pharisees and the scribes who were very comfortable in their own self-righteousness. Most of us are familiar with this story. But this parable really is the climax of this lost and found chapter. In this parable, Jesus makes two points. 
He introduces us to the father and two sons. With the one son, the younger one, he made one point, And with the older son, of course, he made another point. The younger son, I think, provides comfort for us. And the older son provides a warning for us. And Jesus often made major points with his parables as he taught through the scriptures, as we read them in the scriptures. He did this by having someone do something unusual. And in this particular case, the unusual person in this gospel is the father, isn't it? He is humiliated and he is degraded really in so many ways. And yet, yet, we see that the father in this story is really a picture of how the true God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is toward us. He is willing to suffer humiliation in order to search for us and bring us back into the family of believers. That word prodigal that I used in my sermon title is really kind of an interesting word to me as I looked, at, looked it up and went through it. And in Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, it gives the following definition of that word, prodigal. This is what it says. Recklessly extravagant, lavish, luxuriant. Now, I'd like to suggest that these two definitions, or these definitions of that word, Prodigal describe both the younger son here as well as the father in our gospel reading. Just in different ways, totally. So let's take a look at the gospel reading more closely and I'll show you what I mean. The first humiliation begins when the younger son asks for the inheritance. The son goes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. In essence, what was this son saying? He was telling his father to hurry up and die so that I can have what's coming to me. Hmm. Not good. Did the father chastise him for that? No. What did the father do? He divided the state while he was still living. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 12, it says, so he divided his wealth between them. Both boys got the share. The younger son, of course, could expect one third of the estate. This really was an unbelievable response in those days. The community must have thought that this man had lost his mind completely. He had totally gone insane. This action on the part of the father is even more unusual in that really both sons are evil. And I say that because the wicked nature of the younger son is readily apparent, isn't it? 
But don't overlook the fact that the elder son agreed with the distribution. The fact that the elder son agreed indicates that I think he too is alienated from his father. And we see that more a little bit later. He may not have said it as bluntly as his little brother did, but his agreement shows that he was thinking along the same lines as his little brother was. As the oldest son, of course, he would receive a double portion. He would become the boss of the family business. The spoken words of the younger son and the willing agreement here of the eldest son, I think indicate that this truly is a bit of a dysfunctional family, as we would look at them. But nevertheless, in this we see a very accurate picture of God and his dealings with his children. In a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, For he causes his son to rise on evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Martin Luther goes on to build on this thought in the explanation of the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. He says this, God indeed gives daily bread to all men, even to the wicked without our prayers. In his grace, God provides the inheritance of creation to us, doesn't he? He provides our needs of body and soul to all people. The most wicked person on earth still receives what they need. The world, of course, looks at this as insanity. Why would God do that if they're so bad? The believer sees this as God's grace. In this, I think we see the prodigal nature of our Heavenly Father, don't we? The luxuriant, the extravagant grace given to us even though we don't deserve it. The next humiliation comes in the father's action to take his younger son back into the family. An oriental nobleman dressed in long flowing robes, of course, never runs anywhere. That would be humiliating if he did. And yet, here we have a father, as the scripture says, running and embracing his son and kissing him and replacing his rags with, with royal robes, and placing a ring of authority on his hand and inviting the community to a welcome home party. That, to me, is an incredible picture. Furthermore, our text says that the father saw the son returning from a distance. I think this indicates that the father was in the habit of, of actively looking for his son. 
The father was able to run to his son and overwhelm him with grace before the son could even get one word of repentance out of his mouth. Oh, he said, Father, I'm not worthy. But dad didn't hear it. Jesus' description here of the father's actions is a portrait of complete and total grace, isn't it? It's a picture of complete and total unconditional love. The father's actions would overwhelm the son and, and totally surprise those who were listening to the parable. The Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Isaiah to write in Isaiah 64, verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Nevertheless, like the father in the parable, God humiliates himself to bring us into his family, doesn't he? The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. He says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Earlier this morning, I was talking with a couple people and talking about being reconciled back to God. And that's what God has done through his son Jesus for us. But we need to grasp what he has done. Our Heavenly Father, of course, washes us in baptism and he covers us with the righteousness that Jesus Christ has earned with his death on that cross. He humbled himself in order to announce that we are his blessed children. We are his children. John the Apostle says in 1 John 3 verse 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. We become heirs once again to the new covenant of, not covenant of grace that, that supersedes the old covenant of the law. Now the final humiliation here of the Father it happens in his his gracious reaction to his eldest son. The father actually pleads with the son to attend the party. The elder son, well, he responds by loudly accusing the father of treating him unfairly. The elder son insults the father by arguing with him in public and by not addressing him as father. 
The elder son even refuses to claim the other son as his brother, instead calling him your son. Your son. Somebody else did that once in the Old Testament. He said, these people that you gave me, your people that you gave me, what am I to do with them? Yeah. Furthermore, here we see that the son here refused to celebrate with his father and his brother. But nevertheless, in the face of all of this furious attacking that was being done from the elder son, the father graciously and affectionately replied with a repetition of the invitation by saying, son, you've always been with me. Come. The Heavenly Father does the same thing for us and with us. He continues to call us to himself, doesn't he? The son who is furious with the father, of course, is still his child. He is still welcome at the feast. Again, here we see that the father is the absolute picture of unbelievable love and grace to his children. Of course, Jesus never tells us what happened to the elder son. And I think this is very appropriate because the Pharisees and the scribes who were listening to this would recognize themselves in this story. They would recognize that the end of the story has not yet happened. God is willing to humiliate himself in love for them. God still invites them to the feast. The question is, will they rejoice over the dead who are alive again? The lost who are found? Will they see the celebration is also for them? How will this story end for them? Dear friends, we have a gracious God who loves us so much that he sacrificed his only begotten and beloved son for us. That's what Jesus tells us, of course, in John 3.16. The Holy Spirit also inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Philippians 2 verse 8 that Jesus was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our gracious God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But dear friends, there are many who have not heard this yet. People who you and I know. How will the story end for them? There are many others who have heard the story and don't believe it. Will they reject the invitation of the gracious God who humiliated himself in love for all people? Will their anger or their stubbornness or their pride or their excuses lead them to reject the greatest gift of all? How will it end? 
We have a loving God who gladly suffered humiliation for us. He has promised with the resurrection of his son from the dead that we have a home with him. We who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin, well, we know how the story ends for us. Our Lord Jesus has called us to go out and make disciples. To show the love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to those around us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dear friends, let us not shrink back as our gracious Lord leads us and encourages us to share his love with those around us. And we, we heard that in the testimonies this morning. You're not shrinking back, but when those doors are opened, take them. We don't know how many divine appointments we are given every day. There are so many that are set in front of us. And as Matthew 20 says, we have the comfort of knowing that our Lord Jesus is going to be with us to the end. Our Heavenly Father also tells us that he will accomplish that which he desires. Daryl alluded to that this morning. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 give us, gives us that good news. It says, For as the rain and the snow will come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will, re it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. With that word of comfort, precious saints, we have nothing to fear because God is for us and he is going to sustain us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, today we thank you and praise you for this opportunity that we have had to come and to worship and praise you and give you glory, to pray to you, to honor you, to hear your word. Father, I pray that we are all strengthened today as we leave this place. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.